This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week's podcast is brought to you by BHP. Copper is a big deal in the energy transition because it's used to make electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels. When it comes to producing copper responsibly, it's happening now at BHP. Good morning, I'm Larissa Moore. And I'm Claire Kimball. It's Monday the 4th of July. In your Squiz today, Nick Kyrgios's dramatic Wimbledon win. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese visits Ukraine. The impact of COVID on divorce rates. And one genius toddler. This is your Squiz today. Aussie tennis player Nick Kyrgios has made headlines over the weekend with his third round win over world number five Stefanos Tsitsipas at Wimbledon. While the win itself is one of the biggest of his singles career so far, it's the antics on the court and the comments from both players off the court that is grabbing the world's attention, Claire. Larissa, I really feel like I'm stealing your thunder here because tennis (laughs) is your thing, but I'm sure you'll tidy me up as we go along. Yeah, it was all anyone seemed to be talking about yesterday, that match between Tsitsipas and Kyrgios. Uh, As you say, on the court, it was pretty dramatic. What happened is that Tsitsipas won the first set. Uh, As he got into the second set and Kyrgios became more and more vocal, uh, Sitsipas really lost his call and he hit a shot into the crowd. It just missed some of those who were watching. Uh, Kyrgios then demanded that the umpire and that the supervisors get involved and even default the match. Uh, that didn't happen, but it really did rock Sitsipas. And after the game, what the Greek said was that the Aussie was a complete bully. Which Kyrgios was having none of. He reckons he's one of the most liked players that Sitsipas isn't like. So there was a fair bit of tit for tat going on and it's probably not the last couple of articles that will be written about it. Kyrgios will take on American Brandon Nakashima tonight for a chance to make it through to the top eight. But there are other Aussies still competing as well, including Alex Dimonor. Yeah, he has done really well. He's got into the fourth round. He also got into the fourth round at the Aussie Open. So it's a record high for him when it comes to these big Grand Slam tournaments. Uh, also making it through is Jason Kubler and Elia Tomlanovich. Uh, she wasn't expected to get through, not just that she's not a great player, she really is, but her parents even weren't expecting <laughs> it. They only booked a hotel for the first week. So she had a bit of a laugh saying, come on, guys, you've got to have a bit of faith. <laughs> Hopefully they'll be booking for a few more days yet. All four of these Aussies take to the court tonight. And to round out with some tennis-adjacent news, former world number one Ash Barty has been named NADOC's Person of the Year. That's for her contribution to youth sport and education. She said she was humbled by the award and that helping to inspire kids to go after their dreams is something she's very passionate about and she's committed to continuing to give back in the next chapter of her life. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has visited Ukraine and met with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. Formal details of the visit haven't been confirmed though, Claire. No, they haven't. Uh, What has happened is that the Australian Defence Force has asked Australian media to maintain a blackout until he's out of the country. But there have been details that have been reported on by Ukraine's local media and also their Ministry of Defence. They show pictures of Albanese in Buka, which is one of those towns outside of Kiev that was the centre of allegations against Russia for committing atrocities against local civilians. 
times. Uh, what Albanese is seen to be saying is that what happened there is a war crime. He looked quite shocked by the extent of the damage to the buildings and apartments and homes there. Uh, Albanese has also paid his respects to the victims of the downing of MH17. There's a plaque in Kiev that he's visited. And as you say, he's met with Zelensky. We're not really sure what happened there or whether there's been any new commitments to help Ukraine in their war against Russia. Uh, We'll see what happens when he's out of the country. More details to come. It has been a busy week for Albanese. He's on his way home now after attending the NATO summit in Madrid and meeting with French President Emmanuel Macron as well. Still in international news, it's been a year since the Taliban seized control of Afghanistan. Leaders there are pushing for international recognition, even though major issues like education for girls haven't been addressed. Yeah, they have had a big meeting. 4,000 men from the Taliban got together at the end of last week into the weekend. And what has come out of it is a call for the world to recognise them as Afghanistan's legitimate government. That's an issue because until that happens, there's great financial reserves that won't be released to them. Uh, The country's foreign reserves are being held internationally uh, and they want that so that they can crack on with the work of redeveloping Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Officials, particularly from the United States, are still concerned about doing that. They say that they still have a concern that it will be used for the Taliban's military operations. Yeah, they want more transparency in the delivery of humanitarian services and also continue to push on the issue of women's rights in the ultra-conservative-led country. Back home and in New South Wales, parts of the state are again flooding after a weekend of relentless rain, Claire. You can really feel for locals there. They're completely exhausted after a couple of big floods uh, already this year in March and April, and now thousands are evacuating again. There's that east coast low that has been sitting across the Sydney region. If you've been in that area or up to the central coast or down to the south coast, uh, you'll be like you and I. Uh, Larissa, a bit damp, Mm -hmm. a little bit wet. It's Mm -hmm. been a pretty wet and miserable weekend in this region. Uh, What they say in some areas is that they got as much as 360 millimetres of rain over the weekend, which is about a quarter of Sydney's average rainfall. It seems to be something that we've said a few times this year, but these records keep being broken. Uh, There's a couple of big rivers, of course, in that region, particularly west of Sydney, the Hawkesbury and the Nabean. There's concerns today that they might break their banks again and go to really damaging levels across some of those settlements. Forecasters are predicting that things could get worse today. Take care if you're in those areas. There's another set of data that is giving a bit of insight into the impacts of COVID, and that's the rate of people filing for divorce. It's at the highest rate in the last decade, Claire. It's one of those things, isn't it, that many pondered out loud about what the effects Mm. would be because, of course, so many people were forced together for not just days and weeks but months, Months, particularly if you're in Sydney and Melbourne. It was something that really did put a lot of stress on families and couples. Uh, What the official stats released yesterday from the Federal Court and the Family Court of Australia uh, show that divorces are up uh, in the last financial year, so just the year end 
ending in June, uh, there were more than 47,000 divorce applications. Uh, That followed 49,000 in the financial year before that. So there's a couple of hundred thousand people who were married before COVID who are not married any longer. Experts say that also if you add in de facto couples, the amount is probably double that. So a lot of pressure that COVID has brought to bear on a lot of relationships. With this being the peak in the last decade, if you look at other peaks, they came in the 70s when no-fault divorce came into effect and the 90s after a recession in the early 90s. And while most parents like to think their kids are pretty clever, one couple in Kentucky in the US get official bragging rights. Their two-and-a-half-year-old has become the youngest member of Mensa, which is that really big and old high IQ society, Claire. Yeah, and Isla McNabb is her name. She's a a two-and-a-half-year-old from Louisville in Kentucky. What they say is that she's in the top 1% of the population when it comes to IQ. How they got onto her really early was that she had some little plastic blocks that had letters on them, and when she was two years old, she started putting them together like sofa next to the sofa, (laughs) cat next to the cat. Um, She was doing all sorts of really cool things. They say that she's a normal toddler that she really likes bluey and she likes watching the tv it's just that she's two and a half years old and she can read and write it's uh, quite extraordinary must be tough to have a kid that is that clued together i'm hoping i don't have to watch what i say around my one-year-old for quite some time to come yet <laughs> squeeze the day claire what are you taking note of today it's the anniversary of the day that lewis carroll created the story that became alice's adventures in wonderland so uh, that came when he was on a family boating trip in Oxford with a little girl called Alice. Uh, That was in 1862. It's a great book. I actually reread that quite recently. It is delightful. Uh, I've also gone for a bit of a random fact today, Claire. It's the anniversary of the launch of Hotmail.com, the first of the free email web services um, that happened back in 1996. So if you're still kicking on with your Hotmail.com email addresses, good (laughs) for you. That's all from us today. Have a good one and we will be back with you tomorrow.